Greetings, friends, and welcome back to Ascendant. I'm Andrew Crusoe, and today I am so excited to invite Susan Roderick, photographer, filmmaker, podcaster, international retreat and tour guide, and much more to the show. Susan, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. I know we've been uh, online friends for a couple years now, so it's nice to actually talk to you. IRL. IRL. Is this IRL? Do we have to be in the same room for that? <laughs> no, not not in this world. That's true. <laughs> Real life is online in this world. In 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 the aftertimes? Can we call it the aftertimes yeah. yet? <laughs> not <laughs> yet, but they're coming. <laughs> I don't want to date the show. I want it to be evergreen, Susan. Um like many of my listeners, I'm I feel like most people probably found out about you through your brother because your brother is a pretty well-known podcaster, but you're a podcaster as well. And you, you have a show with him that we'll touch on. So your brother's John Roderick, who's an independent uh, podcaster and musician, but you have a whole world of your own. I, I'm not even sure where to start. You're, you're a fascinating person. And I feel like we have a lot of overlap in our interests. Um, I think we'll have time to talk on about your retreat that you're planning in Bali, which is a place I really want to explore and around meditation and mindfulness. You're also, you've made these wonderful short films. You you also, people should definitely check you out. Just at the top, I'm going to plug you. People should check out your Instagram, which is going to be in the show notes at andrewcrusoe.com. You are an excellent photographer. Oh, thank you. I, I just have really appreciated your work and the sort of um, abundance that comes through even in just how abundantly creative you are. One of the things I like to ask at the top is like, what does abundance mean to you? And are there any, how do, when, you, when I ask like, how do you think of going from scarcity to abundance? What comes to you first? I'm curious about that. Uh, first, probably the same way describing joy. Um, the thing, I guess one of the most important things I've learned in the last 10 years is that uh, abundance would be like people think of that word as like good things coming to you or having a lot or having what you want. Um, There's a lot of meanings you can assign to it. Yeah, so much. <laughs> and especially with, you know, people talking about manifesting or being able to create abundance and things like that. But to me, abundance probably means more um, <laughs> like using actual, using pain, using actual pain mm. as a way to get to, um, to the, to the, who you really are, like as a, as mm. a soul or as a connected person and, and all of the bad shit that happens to you or that, that you create. I mean, if you can create good shit, you can create bad, you are creating the bad shit as well, but using mm -hmm. all of that, um, as a, as a way to, to learn to thrive and to get to who you truly are, like your God self or your true self or your soul um, versus like in, in the, like in the illusion that is the material world thinking that that is what abundance is when in my reality, it's more like take like going straight into the pain as a way to. Um, so using pain as a tool. Uh, yeah. As the tool basically. That, and, that tool. um, yeah, that like not just emotional pain, but like anything that happens to you that you're like asking, why is this happening? Like, I really mm -hmm. see the word joy as encompassing like every emotion. Like, it, it's acceptance, really. Like, really? If you can accept, 
if you can accept pain, if you can accept um, hardships, or you can accept all the all the bad things that you feel, like that is what I consider joy. Like joy is not mm-hmm. happiness. Happiness is when you feel good, but joy is all is all emotions and all things. It almost sounds like equanimity the way you're describing joy. Yeah, I guess I would ex- ex- describe it more as like acceptance. Sure, you know, like accepting all of the things. Like I think uh, a lot of a lot of our world is human beings trying to avoid pain mm-hmm. and trauma mm-hmm. in every way that they can. Um, but you really don't see that in, I mean, we're just animals and you really don't see that in, in the animal kingdom at all. Like there is trauma and pain in, in the animal world and they're just, and they're, they just are continuing. They're, they're, they're able to manage that. Um, whereas we just hold on to it, get stuck in us. But there's, Oh, I see what you mean. I was going to say, but they're still trying to avoid pain and seek pleasure in a way, but they don't hold on to it. They don't um, ruminate, you know, like, have you ever met yeah. like, a not dolphin? They're in their that, minds. Yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe dolphins do ruminate, actually. That's not a good example. We don't really know, yeah. do we? Dolphins are really intelligent. <laughs> yeah, but they don't get stuck in addictions and, you know, and they don't, they don't get stuck in their afflictions and... They're just, um, I don't know, we're, we get really stuck. Yeah. So I think of joy and abundance as like like accepting all of that, you know? Yeah. That's why I love asking that question, Susan, because that word, it's, it's humbling to me how varied that word can impact upon people. You know, you know, of course, the default is like abundance. That means I've got a million dollars in my bank account and, you know, which is great. But like there are people that I've met who are multimillionaires who are not abundant emotionally. They're they're not very happy. I mean, that's almost a cliche at this point. Like, oh, sad millionaire. But um, that word is so multifaceted, you know, I mean, I like to I like to look at it in terms of like there's social abundance. There's time abundance. There's so many ways that we can feel free. And I, th- I think that's sort of the other side of it. You know, when you were talking about the joy, it, it reminded me of just the, the pursuit of freedom, the, to be free from resisting maybe. Yeah. Cause like if we're, if we're not in, if we're, if we're not in acceptance, we're resisting. Right. I'm kind of curious, like how you're, so you grew up mostly in Alaska for, for a while. Right. And then you went down to Seattle. I'm curious, like how your journey, led you to some of these realizations open-ended question (laughs) yeah yeah i've lived a lot of places so that Mm -hmm. could be a really long story Mm. um i think that you know basically like my life the the great like the illusion of being a human being or like working on what my friend calls the formula which he's a multi multi multi-millionaire and he has you know he's he he's you know, went to the right schools, did the right job, has the perfect Mm. family, has a hundred million dollars in the bank. Like he has done the formula and, you know, and watching someone like that and realizing, oh, that's not what life's about. Um, It's just, it's really interesting. Like my life has led me um, into trying to, I, I, trying to work the formula, I guess. Of I I mean, I, I never had I never had the right education or the right job or the, or the right spouse or the right, you know, I never did any of that. 
I can relate but, to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I did the opposite of all that, but mm-hmm. also, but always thinking that that formula was what I was supposed to be doing. That equals happiness, right? Yeah. That that equals abundance. That equals happiness. Yeah. And then, time, you know, right? my journey realizing that, um, that that is, that is not what equals happiness. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then just trying to figure out what does. Yeah. You know, and you mentioned freedom and I think for me, freedom is, has always been my highest good thinking mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I want to be free, like in every way possible, not being tied down to a, you know, a job or not being tied down to a husband or to children or even to a pet or anything like that. And, <laughs> coming to the realization maybe only in the last, you know, uh, I don't know, five years or less Mm -hmm. that, you know, the thing about freedom is that freedom is only possible through responsibility. Mm. Like you can, you can only be free either through self-responsibility or through consistency, through discipline. Those are the things that will set you free. And to think that freedom is this thing that is this like carefree, like you can do what you want and have what you want. And that's just not, that is not, that's not the reality. That's not the truth about freedom. In my experience, the truth about freedom is that it takes discipline in order to reach that. I'm really intrigued by that frame. Can you expand upon that? Like in terms of framing it as responsibility and discipline or primarily responsibility, um, how does that manifest for you? I mean, you could apply that to anything. Let's say you you want the freedom of having a healthy body that feels fit or that feels, you know, the freedom to be able to do anything physically. Um, sure, good example. On the planet, you know, you, you need the discipline of of exercising and taking care of that body. Or you could look at it like right. the freedom of being an artist. The freedom of being an artist requires that you you sit down every day and do the work. You know, you can't, yeah. you know, I want to be, I want to be free. I want to be a writer and be able to tr- do travel the world and just write. But that requires the discipline of, of sitting down and writing every day, hmm. you know? So like anything that you think is going to give you freedom actually requires that you, that you are dedicated and that you do the work. So you frame it as a practice and the practice gives practice. you freedom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same thing with meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's like you, in order to, like the the benefits of meditation are so hard to explain. They're so, I mean, they're so, um, they're they're only something you can know by doing the practice every day. Yeah, the word that comes to me is subjective. Yeah, subjective, like obscure. Like there, there's nuanced. really no way. Yeah, nuanced. You can't you can't describe the benefits that you'll gain. I mean, you could say, well, you'll be this, that, or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's really, the, there's no words, like it's intangible, um, what you gain, but you would ha- only know that if you sat and practice it every day. So that's what I mean by responsibility. That's, 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 that's really good. To, I'm not really thinking about that. So how old were you when you were first exposed to, we, I, I end up talking about meditation in half of these and it's in half my books. How, how young were you when you were exposed to that? Was that something that you were exposed to as a kid or was that later on? Um, I think I'm, I'm really convinced that I was a Chinese man in my last life because I don't, I don't know why I started meditating when I was 14 and was really interested. I had like all these 
Chinese tchotchkes and oh, cool. um, super fascinated by Asian cultures and by Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started meditating in eighth grade and me and my best friend, Matt used to go uh, in the auditorium. We'd go sit in the dark curtains of our, of the stage of our auditorium and we would uh... meditate. We would try to meditate. And we, we started going to those think tanks, you know, those water tanks, which in Anchorage in the in the early 80s was like really out there. Is that the same as the sensory deprivation tanks? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I've always wanted to do one of those. Okay, so yeah. So how young were you when you did that? Uh, I was 14 when I started doing that. Wow. And, um, and I, I, you know, it was one of those things where you sit to meditate and you're like, I don't understand, like, why isn't anything happening or, (laughs) you know, you didn't, you thought that something was supposed to happen. Um, or I did, you know, when I was that young. So I'm not levitating yet. Yeah. Or why? Yeah. What, what is supposed to like (laughs) opening your eyes going, is he, is he, is something happening to him? Like, um, so I don't, I'm not really sure how, I mean, this is before I'd ever done any drugs or I'm not really sure why I was drawn to that. Um, Hmm. and then when I was like 17, I, um, I joined a Buddhist church and that, that was more like a chanting, uh, Nichiren Buddhist church. And, uh, and that became like really just like a church experience where Mm -hmm. they were like, why didn't you come last week? And how come you're not donating? And so that didn't really, um, Hmm. That didn't, I didn't do that for very long, maybe like six months. I'm curious. And then I honestly, what, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, then I honestly didn't come back to meditation until I was probably like in my mid thirties. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask what technique you were using when you were 14 or if there was anything. And just mind, mindful meditation, just sitting and quiet, listening mm-hmm. to your thoughts kind of thing. Did you place your focus anywhere in particular out of curiosity? Or you were just... No, I didn't really... Because a lot of times when people start, they just like put the focus on like the touch of breath in their nostrils. I, I find that one a really good place to start. Yeah, I wish I had known that at 14. <laughs> <laughs> but you were doing something. I mean, did you get... I mean, it's it's a pretty young age. Did you... you it sounds like you did it for a little while, and but then you... Um, you know, there, there's so much changing in that time. What brought you back? to it in your thirties? Was there anything specific? No, I mean, I probably had tried it. Um, you know, I tried it throughout my life and just not, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard. And you, you don't know mm-hmm. what, you don't know what the hell's happening. You don't know what you're looking for, what's supposed to happen. Um, it's, un- it can be uncomfortable. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not what you think it is. <laughs> No. You know, like you, it really is about the spaces in between the thing, you know, like it's not about like the thing that's happening. So, um, yeah, I mean, I probably didn't have a daily practice till I was 40. So I, I just, I, I just kept trying and trying. It's one of those things where, yeah, like you're saying, it's hard to quantify and tell people about it. It's, it's like, taking the red pill, like you can only describe it once you've been doing it for a while, I guess. <laughs> um, I kind of wonder, you know, uh, 
so so people are probably pretty familiar with your brother John Roderick because he's a he's a independent you know indie rocker and podcaster and he told a story once and I wanted to hear your side of this story because I feel like the meditation comes in here and I'm probably going to forget half the details but the very short version of the story is you were both on a train and someone either forgot their ticket or there was some mix up with the ticket and there was a verbal there's a lot of tension happening on this train. I believe it was in Europe somewhere, but I, I, I listened to this story like years and years and years and years ago. But John has repeatedly described this superpower that you have, and I, and I don't know if you regard it as such, but that you, it seems like you can be very good at de-escalating a situation and sometimes even somehow transforming someone who is extremely adversarial into your best friend. Does this story ring any bells? I'm sure this has happened a few times. Yeah, that was in uh, Slovenia. That's incredible. You're able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were, uh, they were, we had Eurorail passes and they were saying that, that Slovenia wasn't included in the Eurorail pass, which I think my mom's travel book said that they were going to do that. Yeah. Um, but that it was a scam or something like that. So we kind of went in to that situation knowing that that was a possibility. But yeah, that skill is, um, that's a wonderful skill. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's truly just an intention skill. Um, mm. it's not, there's no skill other than my intention. People can feel my intentions, I think. Mm. And so it, it just, it just comes through no matter if my attitude, if I have an attitude or not, mm -hmm. um, I think that really comes from the fact that I, for some reason, I don't, I don't judge people. Mm. Um, doesn't matter. I don't have like a judgment thing and I don't ever feel like I'm, I don't ever walk into a room and feel like I'm being judged. I, it doesn't occur to me that people wow. could be judging me. Like it, it's not part of my, it's not part of my brain. Um, never do I think about that. Wow. And I'm never thinking about them in any sort of way like that. Hmm. So it creates this like pure intention that hmm. people can just tell. I mean, that's really all, that's all I can say about that. Cause I have, I'm definitely not like pol always polite or even <laughs> coming in like kind. I'm not this, I'm not a gentle person <laughs> in any way, shape or form. But there's something obviously disarming about you. Yeah, I think I use I use humor. That's why, because mm -hmm. I I like I I can, I okay. Here's the thing in that situation, mm -hmm. like I can openly mock people without judgment. Wow! So it's disarming mm. because they're like she's making fun of me, but she's laughing with me, mm -hmm. and she really she cares about me. I can tell she cares mm -hmm. about me, mm -hmm. but she's like calling me out on my shit at the same time. It's a very fine, it's a weird fine line, but yeah. It's yeah, just, that it's sounds just, like a fine balance. It's innate. I don't know where it came from. I don't, I don't know why I have it. It's not something I think about or try. Right, right. That's kind of amazing though. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Thanks for in indulging my question about that. I've, I've, yeah. I've had that, I've been wondering about that train story for a while. And, you know, the way John tells it, he was like, he was watching someone do like a triple axel like he just he he saw it happening he was like how can a how could how did we get here how did that happen 
you know <laughs> like he was kind of he was in awe maybe he wasn't the only one well i mean i hope john tells a story like when when the freaking army dudes come in the train and are asking for our passport saying we're about to get arrested that he's like curled up in a ball like looking out the window acting like he's not even there that's john's <laughs> That's John's reaction. He's just like, I, I'm not here. I can't see this. I don't, don't look at me. Like, oh, oh, man. Oh, oh, shit. I'm going to have to handle this. Was that the same train ride? Yeah, definitely. That's it's just, yeah, that's John's just, well, yeah, that's the same experience. They were military dudes coming in saying they were going to confiscate our passports and that we were going to be arrested on the next stop is what they were telling us. Because I was like, I'm not Whoa. giving you my passport. There's no way I'm giving you my passport. And then I just said to my mom and brother, like, don't give them your passports. We're not doing that. So then they were like, well, we're going to arrest you then. Yeah. And, I, and then I talked him out of it between then and the next stop. <laughs> and they were also telling us, <laughs> they were also trying to tell us we owed them $100 per person extra, which, you know, in the early, in 1990, whatever, we were like, we're not giving you 300 more dollars. Right. So, yeah. But, but, uh, oh, I'm so, I, I mean, now I'm curious, like, what do you tell somebody? Like, do you have any advice for someone else who gets into a situation like that to de escalate? I mean, you, I mean, I know it's something that's innate to you, but I'm just wondering. <laughs> you seem like a great person to travel with, like, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I have, I have a little bit of TSA anxiety so i'm not exactly a great person to travel with to be honest i am when you like hit the Only streets or whatever trains, not planes yeah <laughs> when you hit the streets i am but like not in the airport i'm not a good person to travel with you can ask my okay. best friend because we've been to a lot of countries together but um mm -hmm. you know people say you know just use kindness and kill them with kindness but i don't I, i'm not mm -hmm. really that kind to be honest mm -hmm. like i'm kind of i'm an aggressive person so i don't use I mean, I can be very kind, but like in situations where there's danger involved, I'm definitely not being kind. Like I, ha I have, so I don't really have advice for people because I don't recommend that they try it the way that I do it. Um, don't ride a train in Slovenia. That's what we've because, no, because you, if you travel, you end up in hairball situations, like just always. Yeah. Um, That's and, coming up for me. <laughs> yeah. So like I basically, um, that thing that I do is, yeah, it's like, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, people can use kindness and, you know, highly recommend if you have that skill or that mm -hmm. personality. But I, I genuinely like care about every human being. Mm -hmm. Like, like no matter what, what I come across as aggressive or, you know, can be rude, um, working on all those things. Like <laughs> I, I genuinely, genuinely am curious, genuinely mm -hmm. curious about every single human being and care about them and am not judging them based on, um, mm -hmm. based on, you know, where they, their status or their, you know, language or any, any of the things that you would, that you could judge someone on. Mm-hmm. Mm um, I just don't have that. I don't have that in me, which I know it sounds weird to say that. Like I'm not judgmental because I, I, I mean, I, I can't be judgmental. It's just that when I am interacting with another human being, I'm genuinely curious about them. 
Yeah, the judgment, the judge is not like a feature of your consciousness. It's not something that comes up a lot. Yeah, and I think people can sense that you, when you're curious about someone and what their story is and what they have to say and, you know, everyone likes to be listened to Mm -hmm. and everybody wants to be known. So there's just a piece of in there that they can feel from me and it, it, and it, it helps them feel centered or something. I don't know. Like a deep sincerity or maybe there's a better label for it. Yeah. I would say that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that. I feel Um, that. So even though like whatever I'm saying, you know, where I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? You know, or whatever I'm saying (laughs) might not come across as unsincere whatever my next sentence is or however I'm looking at them or whatever the thing is, they could tell that I'm, that I'm actually like, I want to hear what they have to say or something, you know? And and you say, and I, there, there's other stories I want to touch on, but you, you say that you don't really, you know, you don't come across as kind per se, but the other side of that might be, you're really good at communicating boundaries. Like you're, you're saying this isn't cool. This is cool. I, you know, I feel like you're a pretty direct person and that, you know, that's, that's a strength as well. I feel like that could be really refreshing, you know, at least you kind of know where you are and maybe not always, but I I feel you strike me as someone and correct me if I'm wrong, that like you don't have a problem like communicating boundaries and that probably sets a good example for people around you. (laughs) I mean, I guess, yeah, or maybe, how do you think or, about it? or I have no, yeah. or maybe I have no boundaries. I don't know what, maybe like, I think <laughs> my friends, my friends probably that I travel with, they think I, I'm kind because my friend calls it when he travels with me, calls it the Susan show, like walking into a town and being able to like make friends so, so easily or end up in someone's home or end up, you know, getting a ride from some random or then we're up in some guy's plane or all those types of things. Like, oh man that I I have this ability with people that, I mean, I, it's, I don't really think of it as, you know, kindness. Um, although, you know, maybe my friends would say that, but I Mm -hmm. think of it as more just, I just, I genuinely just love, love, love people. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't, there's no, there's no fault that you could have that I wouldn't be able to accept. Wow. Um, like I wouldn't, I would be able to have compassion or accept any human being, someone like the worst thing that you can think of that a human being could possibly do. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I still know that they are a freaking soul and they are a human being mm-hmm. and their, what they've done or their experience has no bearing or weight on the fact that, that, that they're, that light is in them. And I can see it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, now you're reminding me of my favorite documentary, <laughs> Becoming Nobody. That sounds oh. like something Ramdas said. Oh, I haven't seen mm. that. I haven't seen that documentary, but I, I, I have it on my list. Oh, my gosh. It's, it comes up a lot in these because I'm like low-key obsessed with it. But Ramdas says that at one point he says he, the, the real trick is seeing actions as evil but not beings. Yeah. And that's what you're describing. No, absolutely. That's how I see it. I mean, and I have compassion. I mean, the only people I'm really struggling with are like Kavanaugh and McConnell. But other than yeah. those two people, I I have I have compassion for Trump. Like I, I feel like he's really hurt. He's a hurting person. And yeah. like all these people are just, all of these people 
in our world right now are just living in fear. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're in pain. A lot of them. They're afraid, and and I understand. Maybe not agree with actions, or you know, even the people that are destroying the planet, um, the fifteen of them or whatever. Like I I I understand what it feels like to be afraid and yeah you know and you really want you really want them to be able to come from love instead of fear like i really mm-hmm. want that for for people you know but mm-hmm. like people draw lines in the sand like oh if you're a child molester if you've raped you know if you've killed if i have i have no lines so in that way i don't have boundaries um so it almost sounds like blockages to love in a way you could frame it like that like a lot of people if this line's crossed then i'm blocking you out from my reality and you don't have the same blockages i guess that's one frame that occurs to me (laughs) well yeah if you're if you're coming from love and you talk about coming from love but then you have Mm -hmm. lines in the sand that turn into fear then you can just see where your own your own love turns into fear you know so I, i mean i it's not like you have to have boundaries. It's not like you want all these people around you, you know, like, right. I mean, I cut, I cut people out of my life. I'm not, I'm not just right. like a glutton for like violence or something like that, but I, you still can right. see that they, that they're coming from fear and they're, the light is the same as yours. Exactly the same. Yeah. And Trump's light is the same as mine. Hmm. You know, we come from the same light. Like it's not whatever the actions are. I call it source. Yeah, I mean, whatever the, their actions are, the way they behave in the world, like, I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying, like, you know, you're as pure and true as, like, a dolphin. Well, dolphins can be mm. assholes, too, but, like, you know, you're <laughs> pure and true as, like, you know, as, like, a hummingbird or, like, mm. you know, every person is. But some people are born with some pretty heavy karma to work through, we might say. So it. It, they create suffering for people around them, unfortunately. And then you have to decide in what measure you want to hold space for that, depending on the situation. So, yeah, sometimes, like you're saying, sometimes you do need to, like, distance yourself from somebody. I mean, but that comes back full circle to what we were saying about what abundance is or what joy is for me, mm-hmm. is that that pain, the suffering, whether someone inflicts that on you, is is just a reflection of what's in you as well so like although you could say you could point the finger outside of yourself and say that person's causing suffering it's like Mm -hmm. if you are experiencing the suffering then that is actually what is part of you not that they gave it to you but that you had it in you and like going into that is where is 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 where you find abundance hmm this is some this is a lot this is some high level good stuff <laughs> do you ever feel like I, I i agree with that the i think the only thing that is slippery or maybe it's just a framing issue susan like sometimes people say things like that to justify enabling someone who's hurting them you know what i mean like yeah. sometimes people say things like that because they're not you know it comes back to that old saying of like you got to put the oxygen over your own face before you can help the other people around you. You know, if you're like bleeding out, you might be able to help a little bit, but you should, you should probably like try not to bleed out on the battlefield before you start giving other people band-aids. I don't know. 
if that <laughs> if that resonates with you. <laughs> but I feel like it applies here because there is that there is like you said earlier, there's sort of a there's a deft balance there. But it's still only triggering you because it's because of your illusion or your what you see reality as. Like, you know, when I look mm. at someone like the Dalai Lama or Eckhart Tolle or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, these people that when if they were if they were faced you know with something violent mm-hmm. you know it's not that they don't acknowledge that but people cannot be triggered by horrible horrible things you know like i have a friend who whenever someone dies a friend of a friend dies or a friend of a family member or a family member of a friend dies mm-hmm. you know it really hurts her mm-hmm. And she, you know, will cry or get sad. And that is just, you know, when I see that, it's a reflection of her own fear. And Mm. no, not that, you know, and I don't see death that way. Like, Mm. I don't see it as sad. I don't feel sad when someone dies. Um, I don't feel sad, you know, and this sounds so horrible, especially what's what's going on in the world today. But like, when Mm -hmm. children are murdered, like, it does not create sadness in me. Mm-hmm. I I see that as like, well, there, I don't, I see, I don't see death as like a, you know, I, I, I see the veil is very thin. Those spirits mm-hmm. like made a choice, either mm-hmm. a lesson for the families, for the world, for themselves. Um, in all of our pain as a human being, I don't, I don't see death as, I, I know there's great loss and the yeah. people that are left are, 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 you know, are going through great sadness and loss and especially a violent death. Or things like that. Like I, I have a comprehension of that, but I personally mm-hmm. don't feel that way about. You don't death. feel like it's ultimate loss because you know I that don't. what is the consciousness doesn't get destroyed. Absolutely not, and and also mm-hmm. that there were choices involved. There's yeah. there's there are lessons and choices and 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 a path that is being walked. That is that is part of that is encompassing again, back to abundance being all things, including pain and suffering, mm-hmm. um, that it is, it is the whole spectrum is part of it. And so I don't, I don't get triggered internally with sadness from death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you could look at, you could, so everybody's experience is different and it's, mm-hmm. and every experience is just a reflection of what's inside of them. So you wouldn't be you wouldn't be feel, triggered by it if you didn't have that fear in you. Yeah, and it's really either fear or love. It's just those two emotions. It's just those two experiences. Isn't it funny how all the negative emotions always come back to fear? Every single one. Yeah. And then there's only love. You know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it sounds like it sounds super shitty to say that I'm I'm not saddened by that. <laughs> you know, it's it. I understand that it sounds horrible. Like you don't feel sad. Maybe but I'm outing I, myself here, but I really resonate with that. I, I'm actually I think about that similarly, Susan. I really do. Because I don't think that death is the end. And I do think I do think we have multiple lives. They've touched on this in other interviews. So if you look at it through that frame, you know, I it, it I think we're in a similar mind here. I I don't think you sound goofy for what it's worth. Because <laughs> if you realize cruel. Like, you're so <laughs> 
your soul. Hey, you, you, when you, if you look at it as a soul game, which is how I look at it, you know, and we're coming back and we're learning lessons. Um, it doesn't need to be, this is something I wrote. Yeah. What did I write? It's like, why taking life so seriously is a choice. You know, when you're born, you're, you're, you're told this is, you got to be somebody you're going to, you know, you got to keep this game seriously. Oh, it's not a game. It's all real, by the way. And it's like, there's big, big stakes here. And yeah, there are stakes, but I think the only, I'm like skipping to the end here, but I think the only, uh, the only real ultimate downside is it can take longer than you might want. That's the only thing we all get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a path. Like it's it's a path that yeah. everybody's is ch- is choosing to walk, and mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I just start I start out by saying like the pain is the way in. You know that yeah. is that is ha- that is the transcendence. That is the that is the pathway to your true self is through your pain, and so mm. you know when you lose someone in your life through a violent death or something like that, you mm-hmm. know that is also a gift. That's the greatest gift. If you were, if you're willing to look at it like that, you know, which, you know, that's, it's all a freaking illusion. This whole thing is like a, this whole thing is just like a holodeck, the one. you know, mm-hmm. like it's not, mm-hmm. it, it isn't like our senses are interpreting this as real, you yeah. know, but like if a tree falls in the woods, no, it doesn't make a sound. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> Finally, a vibration someone's willing to make the stand on that question it, Thank it you. doesn't make a sound they're vibrate their <sighs> vibration they're puffs of vibration that only our ears hear if they if they're in a certain scale yeah like honestly so there's an interesting theory that's like it's not rendered unless you're there yeah it's is what not you're t- dancing around. well yeah. i mean elephants are hearing something totally different than we are it's not even like Right. It's it, like even the illusion of our own senses on this planet are not even, you know, it's it's not it's not objective. Like elephants are having a completely right. different experience than we are. So are dolphins. So are so like to say that this is real. It's just real for you. Yeah. Have you read much about subjective reality? I'm curious if this is another area. Subjective versus objective reality. Yeah, I'm leaning into I, it now. I'm really into, well, there's a, there's a theory called biocentrism, which this sounds familiar. The guy that wrote it, the guy that wrote the theory, I like the book. I, I don't think he's a great writer, but the theory itself, which is just that human being through our senses are interpreting all the vibrational, all the vibrations that are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so consciousness is really, is the main focus like the world, the physical world itself is not even real without consciousness. It's not that consciousness exists in the, in the world. Yeah. And the world is objective. It's that you are, that consciousness is creating the reality. Like you're not even really sitting on the chair you're sitting on, you know, it's all empty space and you're just creating this physical world that doesn't actually exist through our senses, but it's consciousness that is really doing that. Right. Does that make sense? So do you think, I'm going to make, it does make sense actually. And it it reminds me of the two angles people tend to come in at when it comes to like universe origin theory. Uh, The two main angles people come in at are either, you know, there was all this energy for some reason that was like smaller than the, you know, the dot at the end of a sentence. And then it expanded out 
and we call it the big whoosh or the big bang or all those things. And then, and then all these, you know, patterns combined and we have consciousness as a byproduct of these magical molecules coming together. And then the other angle, the other perspective is consciousness started first and then found vehicle in these, the, it's sort of like dreamt up this material world later. And um, I tend to side on the other side as well. But tr- try having that conversation with people who are strict materialists. It's tough. <laughs> that's the word. I, that's the word I was looking for. I was looking for not subject. I was looking for materialism. But yeah, that's basically. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah, and it's you know it's uh it misses a lot of the picture in my opinion. I think that's something we probably agree yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely something I think about a lot. Just because, um, mm. you know, I think of you know, the two of the, two of the biggest questions in science. And I have, although I'm not, I'm not judgmental, judgmental that on an individual, I have a very condescending kind of attitude towards science. Although I'm super into science, I, 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 I love science and I get really obsessed with deep dives Mm -hmm. on scientific things. Sure. When I think about scientists and I kind of think like, oh, they're so, look at those cute humans, like trying to figure it out, you know, like trying to like, you know, map shit out for us. I kind of have that. Look at all those flasks. Yeah. Like, look at, look at them. Like, like one of those is going to work. (laughs) But two of the greatest questions in science both have to deal with consciousness. Like, first of Mm. all, like uh, neuroscientists have no idea where consciousness is in the brain or it's, Mm -hmm. they cannot locate it. There is, Mm -hmm. they don't understand it. They know nothing about it. They don't know where it's located in the brain. Um, it's one of the deepest mysteries of science is what is consciousness mm-hmm. and where does it reside and how does it start and how, when does it end? We have no answers, like zero. Yeah. So that is one of the biggest questions of science. And then also, if you want to look at like quantum physics or quantum mechanics, in quantum physics, they have no idea why consciousness is even a participant and they cannot, they can, that is one of the biggest mysteries of science. Why is the observer, why does the observer have an effect on, on, on the material world? They have yeah. no idea. And so like in my, you know, in my opinion, yeah, two of the greatest mysteries of humanity have to do with consciousness, but we just look at it like, oh, you know, Consciousness is just something that's created in the brain through electricity. It's like it's not in the brain. They can't find it in the brain. I know. And then you then you talk about um, and I usually I'm going to spoil the after show a little bit. One of the questions I love to ask in the after show is, "Have you ever had a near death experience?" So you can log that away. And I hear these amazing questions. Uh, sorry, I hear these amazing answers to that question. I know around like, you know, I had a guest who floated above her body and saw her body and, you know, the CT, so it was MRI or CT, one of those. And it, there's so many of these accounts. So many. Yeah. And you also like, are you familiar with um, <laughs> uh, the work of Dr. Michael Newton? He did these I am. regressions. Yeah. So you've got that one as well. He, you know, he wrote like three, two, three or four books on that subject. So there's so much, um, you know, if there was nothing to it. Is that Journey of Souls? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah that's a great book. It's a great book. And you have book. people, yeah, people know he, you know, he hypnotized people. You know, you can, hypnosis is pretty amazing. Um, you can bring people back, pull out any, you know, long-term memory you want, typically hard to get to. 
you know, even though I'm a toddler, I've got, you know, popcorn. And then you you go back before they're born and everybody describes the same place. (laughs) Yeah. It's a trip. It is. And I, and I think of that as like, you know, that that's, it's all coming through the, the perspective of the human experience. So I'm not surprised that we all see the same thing because it's, it's based on our perception of the reality here and how we kind of turn it into like, like a school or like some sort of job interview or that there's, you know, that there's people, you know, the, the life review. And I, I just, I think it's, I think, I think our interpretation of, of near death experiences is, is interesting that we do mm-hmm. all see the same thing, like through the human, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I also come at that from a scientific perspective, like people like even Alexander or neuroscientists that have had their own experiences that didn't believe in it at all um, and then had an experience. And, you know, in my opinion, like near-death experiences, like that's, to me, that's fact. That's yeah. proven. There, it's it, The fact that it's considered new age or out there or whatever is, yeah. is ridiculous to me when, when there's all of these experiences of people that know where something is placed or know who owned what item, even like, you know, the reincarnation of the Buddha having to, or the Dalai Lama, I'm sorry, having to pick out items from the last Dalai Lama, you know, the right comb or the right beads or the right, you know, mat or whatever, like all of these things that That's how they select the next Dalai Lama, right? Right, exactly. These items apart, yeah. And, and, And also just all the children who are talking about their past life and then they go to the town and they know all this information they couldn't have known, or they know where the box is located underneath the house. Like all of these things that are like, that in my, you know, in my opinion are proof. Yeah. You know, and, and the number of experiences um, Mm -hmm. is just, it's just, it's just funny what, what human beings fight against. You just gave me an idea for another potential after show question that I ought to ask people, which is, um, have you ever had flashbacks from previous lives? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my mom, my mom, um, my mom's always believed in reincarnation. So when we were kids, your mom is my amazing brother, by the way, my mom is, a, yeah, she's a nut. And when we were children, <laughs> she was constantly looking for us to say or do things from past lives. So she was no watching way. us very, oh yeah, very, very closely in the seventies <laughs> watching us to see if we said or did anything that would indicate. And when my niece was born, she did the same and was very convinced that my niece was talking to friends from uh, a past life. So, I mean, my mom Kids taught me when I was, stuff. Yeah, they really can. My mom taught me at a very young age that um, aliens were the missing link. That aliens live in the oceans and that reincarnation is fact. So this is how, that's definitely how I was raised. Oh my God. We need to have from a very young age. Yeah. Yeah. She'll blow your mind. <laughs> she's such a strong, yeah. She's whenever John talks about her, I'm just like, and she was on Roderick on the line for three seconds once. And oh, I just I'm even surprised. heard from hearing. Yeah. It was like one time, like three years ago, it was a very short and I was like, she sounds like such a strong, fascinating person. <laughs> I was like, wow. Definitely one of a kind. 
Yeah. So, so did that, do you feel like that, I mean, you're kind of begging the question, like how did that, so many questions, how did that affect you as a kid? You're, you're sort of like looking out, would you say that to friends at school and they'd be like, what are you talking about? Or was that something where like, we shouldn't say that to the normies, but don't, don't mention it to the muggles folks. No, I say it with pride. I definitely tell people that with pride for sure. My mom thinks UFOs live in the, or aliens live in the oceans. That's something I've been saying. A pretty good place to hide actually. Yeah, no, she's convinced. So, and the Navy, the Navy is, the Navy is definitely confirming that theory lately. Uh, UFOs is going it? into the water. Yeah. They've Did said ships, ships come right out of the ocean. They've seen ships come right out of the ocean. We mean so my like mom out of always, the bottom of the ocean? No, like they're on, they're flying over the surface like of the saucers. ocean. I've seen, yeah. UFOs come out of the water or go into the ocean. Yeah. That's actually a, that's <sighs> actually a naval thing that's been happening. I know you'd be a great guest. <laughs> um, so, how, <laughs> so I believe it. Welcome back to Coast to Coast Podcast FM. Um, no, they're not a sponsor. But yeah, I definitely have to- told. I I'm I mean I'm proud that my mom is, you know, doesn't think like other people, and she obviously mm-hmm. raised my brother and I to be the same. So mm-hmm. um, instead of rebelling against her and being totally conservative, um, materialist, we are definitely. Mm-hmm you know, free thinking individuals. So been supported in that my whole life. Don't you feel like the challenge with science, because science is great in the area that I, I feel like this is worth mentioning, Susan. It's great in the area in which it works, you know, the trying to be objective, pseudo objective reality. Um, but the challenge around it is that you can only have science about something you can measure. That's a real limitation. So maybe at some point we'll get better at measuring these experiences that people have outside of their body because i feel like it could be a science i feel like if we can replicate that enough you know we can start to understand like how does the energy body work Uh, there's all these interesting questions around it if if it's happening like if it's actually you know which i believe it is i think it's only a matter of time you know well i I mean that's human evolution i think yeah i have i'm very opinionated on this because i love studying science i love i love Mm -hmm. cosmology um, I love neuroscience. I, I love to, to study. I love to learn as much as I can, you know, in the, in discover magazine, like the people, the people magazine version of science. But like <laughs> I, I do, I love, I love these topics so much and I love mm. that human beings are trying to understand, but I feel like, mm. like scientists are now, they are, they're going you know, they're doing mathematical problems in the sky that cannot be proven in, in any way, shape or form. And they are they are neglecting their jobs as mm. scientists in 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 encompassing findings and and things that are happening and trying and staying so stuck in the material world. Mm. But they're willing mm. to believe in these mathematical equations that cannot be proven. That is mm. literally ma- like not literally that is math in the sky and like string and theory <laughs> things like this even the big bang is like not panning out you know on yeah. some levels and it's just kind of mm-hmm. like the fact that they're so rigid that they are some of them yeah they are not doing their duty mm-hmm. as scientists to to see all of the information in front of them mm-hmm. and 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 base their their studies and you know the path forward based on on the information that they have because if you can't prove string theory, then then why are you just like why are you just deciding that consciousness is not a participant 
in in quantum right. physics. Right. Like I just I just think they're they're neglecting they're neglecting their their duty to be open minded and be able to prove um, through scientific theory. Yeah, I don't want to be in the position to defend scientists per se because the yeah they're fine, but um, I think most of the challenge around that is just the challenge to measure that stuff. Um, maybe there is some dogma, which seems to be kind of what you're implying. There, there probably is some dogma, and it's tough. Things change slowly. But I think it'll be better if we can get better at measuring that, um, if we can ever measure some of that stuff. Well, I mean, um, the Large Hadron Collider is, is you know, is mm-hmm. back online and starting to measure. Um, but the rigidity, like... I, and I understand they have to measure. That's 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 what science is. Like I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that 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 they need to. I'm just I think that the that they are not taking. You feel like they're taking the easy way out. I just feel like they're they're becoming more and more rigid. And until until we like evolve as human beings, uh, in a scientific from a scientific standpoint, and accepting things mm-hmm. the the inexplicable that can be measured, things like. Mm-hmm past life regret, you know, this past life thing, as far as children being able to go in and, and, you know, tangibly know things. Yeah. I hope that that's a university course everywhere in the next 10, 20 years. Like people should, everybody should learn hypnosis in my opinion, if we can keep replicating that. <laughs> yeah. I just hope that we don't, we evolve fast enough. Yeah. Save this planet. Susan, is it possible that a lot of these scientists just need aloha? Yeah, that's definitely. Everyone needs aloha. Everyone needs aloha. Everyone needs aloha. Everyone. Oh, just breathing in aloha. I remember when I learned the meaning of aloha. I, I believe it technically means the divine breath in me acknowledges the divine breath in you. Aloha. The ha is the breath. Wow. Oh, Hawaiian told me that once. Yeah, yeah that is the. Uh, well, that's also what namaste means. Namaste means. The divine in me salutes the divine in you. Oh, you're right. And what is the Hawaiian prayer? On a, yeah, so it is similar. And the anapono, 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 uh, honopono ono. Or what is it? Oh, ho'oponopono. Honoponopono. That is a similar thing, like uh, where you're saluting. Ho'oponopono is the forgiveness practice. Yeah. It is. So yeah, it's it like, is. it was, it's, uh, what is it? Um, I, I love you. I forgive you. I, um, I or what is it? There's Please forgive four. me. Thank Please you. Me. I love Thank you. you. I love you. Yeah. I think maybe. Yeah. It's this form. <laughs> yeah, there is. And I'm it's funny it right now because there's um there's actually a, a practice uh called completing a relationship that I talked about a little while ago that's similar to that, and I think they were unconsciously pulling from Ho'oponopono. Um. I want to touch on Aloha and also your. Bali retreat before I have to let you go. I, I feel like Aloha probably came first or maybe, maybe not. Came first. What do you mean? Well, you were exposed to it before you were, you know, doing these retreats. Do you, do you feel like they're interrelated at all or maybe not so related? <laughs> I mean, Aloha is, yeah. Aloha is a way of life. Like Aloha is, mm-hmm. I mean, you live in, you live in Hawaii. <laughs> you know more about Aloha than I do, but like aloha is to me is is that is the same thing about like seeing the seeing the light in everything in everyone mm-hmm. in every being and, and and it is the same thing with namaste 
you know, um, like the divine presence in me sees the divine presence in you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that if you bring and aloha to me means bringing that in to mm-hmm. everyday, everyday interactions, because that's such a high level kind of concept. And when you say namaste to someone in Nepal, like you or, you know, you are or namaskar in India, you are, you are acknowledging that, you know, you put your hands together and bow your head yeah. as just a way to greet them. And so aloha is a way for me in that same way to, you know, like I'll say to John, like, well, that wasn't very aloha of you. Or, you know, <laughs> let, you know, you like, we need to be more aloha to that guy. Like it's it, like I said, mm. it's a verb, an adjective. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is part of language for me that it's just a, a gentle, constant, rem- it's a kind, gentle reminder that you can bring into any sentence or any interaction that shows you mm. that there's light being exchanged mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. the circumstances of the situation don't matter as much as being able to acknowledge that. And the energy of it. Yeah. We should start to wrap up, but I want, cause I want to be sensitive to your time boundaries, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about this Bali retreat coming up, which looks really cool. And that's, um, yeah, that one, I don't. I try to keep this evergreen, but you're doing this in late 2022, so a little while from now. How did that come yeah. about? I'm just very curious about that because that looks very exciting and looks really lovely. And Bali's also been on my bucket list for a while. Yeah, what an incredible place. Yeah. Well, this this retreat was actually planned um, for 2000, early 2021, um, hmm. and then COVID hit, so it's just basically we have just been putting it off until the country was open again. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically I, I started leading um, photography tours around the world with an organization called the giving lens. And oh, yes. that organization works with nonprofits in different countries. So it's about photography, giving back and travel. And so I had been leading these photography tours. Um, my best friend was leading photography tours around the world as well. And we kind of said, well, why don't we lead photography tours, tours together? Cause we'd been yeah. to, at this, we'd been to over 20 countries together, just traveling. Fun. And then our first photography tour, we were planning to Costa Rica in 2017. Hmm. And, um, I think right before we launched, we just said to each other, you know, what if we just took photography out of it and just did what we wanted and led a meditation retreat? Um, Woo. and just, like all of our audience is was photography related, right? But we were like, this is what we're really, you know, you teach what you most need to learn, basically. So this Usually. is what we're <laughs> this is what we're interested in. This is what we want to. This is how we want to spend our time. Like mm-hmm. we always have cameras with us, but what mm-hmm. if we just did this? And so we launched our first retreat to Costa Rica, um, early 2017, and you know, it basically like it sold out in like two days. Wow. So we were like, well, this is definitely, this is the right path. And um, we didn't even take our cameras on that trip. We just took our phones, which I really wow. regretted because there were the, all, all these scarlet macaws that I missed in the trees. But Ooh. that's beside the point. Anyway, hmm. so we just went for it. And basically, that's what we've been doing ever since. I'm also still leading photography tours with the Giving Lens um, when mm-hmm. that comes back online for the world. But um, 
yeah, mm-hmm. we just we just decided to yeah teach what we most need to learn. What can people look forward to if there's any spots open? And they, de- they should definitely check it out at susanroderick.com, which will be in the show notes at andrewcrusoe.com. Yeah, you, can also, you can also do peaceintravel.com. Mm-hmm. Most of the first retreats that I ran, I kind of had, I was really militant kind of about meditating twice a day mm-hmm. and, you know, teaching a certain type of content where people could understand because meditation is is hard. It's a pain in the ass. And a lot of people are like, it's not for me. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. I've tried. You know, there's a lot of resistance to it. And mm-hmm. so my approach, and also there's a lot of resistance to just like new age speak and woo speak. I mean, not mm-hmm. for lack of a better way to put that, like using words like being and soul and light. You know, a lot of people have a lot of resistance to that. And yeah. I, and I get sometimes that. I do a little like woo woo warning at the front of the show. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's some a lot people of people that ready they for don't, it. Yeah. they don't resonate with that, those types of words. The problem mm-hmm. with this type of action is that there are no words to really describe this shit. Yeah. You know, it's, it's indescribable. So you pick, we have the words that we have and we mm-hmm. use those. And I, my whole take on meditation retreats is that I talk the way I talk. And I'm not trying to, I, I don't resonate with that kind of speak as much. Although, you know, you heard me just talking about the light in you and the light in me and all that kind of stuff. But like, I have a much but more. But it is light. It is. And, but I have a much more kind of just like direct, no nonsense kind of like, you know, uh, hmm. approach to this type mm-hmm. of information. And that resonates with different people. And I understand how hard it is to get in here. So mm, I was mm-hmm. really, you know, had this approach um, that I wanted to relay this, all of this to people and I'm just much more relaxed now. So mm. our trips are like half adventure, half meditation, but it's really more about knowing that all of your power lies within you. And mm. you're, if you're searching in the outside world, like with a good, trying to find a good job or a good relationship or a good bank account or all these things that we're out trying to strive for and search for. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, I'm not belittling any of that stuff, but just to let people know that all of that power actually comes from inside of you. And mm-hmm. so if you want to improve the outside of your life, you have to go in basically. I feel that. Yeah. So that's what the retreats are about. That's, that's what, that's what our retreats are about. Well, I hope that I hope that uh, you know if somebody's listening to this in 2024, um, hope that maybe they're even you know still going because oh, yeah. they sound they sound <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Got to think long term with these, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, peace in, peace out. I feel like you would. Yeah, I feel like um, I would definitely trust you to lead something like that. I, I feel like it would be very clear communication, and it would be well thought out. And I mean, you can't pick a much better place than Bali, you know, it sounds like an amazing um, place to really just get centered and go within and come back with how many days is that usually? Uh, usually eight days, seven nights. Nice. I think we, nice. we did a Nepal retreat that was like 12 days, but um, mostly like eight. They're, they're mostly about eight days, seven nights. So, and Bali is a magical place. Oh my gosh. I might have to pick your brain about Nepal in the after show. I know you're a little uh, short on time, so I will um, let you go. But Susan, thank you so much 
for sharing time with me today. I, I really appreciate it. And we're going to stick on for a l- short after show, which you can find more about at andrewcrusoe.com or it'll be at my Patreon, patreon.com slash hello Crusoe. Um, Susan, I just, I'm so, I just feel so honored that you took time out of your week. I know you're a little busier right now than normal. Is there anything you want to point people toward? Um, you can check out. I mean, susanroderick.com is a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm so bad at social media these days. Um, but all my social media is Susan Roderick. I would just have people check out, yeah, peaceintravel.com. Peace that's about all about the Bali retreat. And um, I made a short film about our Nepal retreat that's on there as well. So oh, I don't think I've just, seen that one yet. Yeah, I just I just posted it. So oh, nice. put that online. So yeah, that's just this... where I would direct people. I love these pictures from 2017, but all of them, just like the giving ones stuff. It just looks so such a beautiful container for these things. Yeah, the Giving Lens is also an incredible organization, so you can check them out as well. We haven't done any tours lately, but hopefully the world will let us allow us to do that again. It's coming. It is, yeah. It's coming. Okay. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you, Andrew, very much for your time. Aloha. <laughs> and that's a wrap. I want to say thanks again to Susan for sharing a big chunk of her afternoon with me, even though she had a rather busy day. I was so inspired by our conversation, and I learned a lot. I'd love to hear what you thought. You can always reach out to me. I'm at sign Hello Crusoe on everything. I'm on TikTok now. (laughs) I'm on all the things. Twitter still exists, Um, but that's not what I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is the after show to this conversation I mean, I'm sure you've heard about the after show to Ascendant for a while if you've been listening to this. This is the one you want to tune into. I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding. This after show story, what she shares in the after show is a story of this harrowing E.T. encounter when she was just six years old. I don't want to over-exaggerate about this story. I want you to be pleasantly surprised as well, but it's... I don't know. In my opinion, this is worth joining the Patreon. If you're strapped for cash, just join the Patreon for one month. <laughs> um, currently, that level is five bucks. Uh, you can cancel any time. It is worth this just to hear uh, I, what I feel is the wildest after show. Uh, it's almost half an hour. It's just brilliant and very thought-provoking. She also shares a story that I really love. She, she shares a story about her father, who's actually a, a well-known um, legislator in the state of Washington, uh, watching her father pass away and witnessing his soul drop his physical vehicle in a very palpable way. And the way she describes it is remarkable. Uh, it, I'm just really inspired. I was, I, you know, Obviously, I'm really inspired by this public interview I've just shared with you that I, you know, I put a lot of work into these, honestly, I put a lot of editing work into these because I believe these stories should be out there and I love podcasting. I feel it's such an honor to be able to talk to the people I've been able to talk to, including Susan. And yeah, 
<laughs> thus concludes my soft sell for the patreon <laughs> and you know you get that after show and all the other after shows when you support the show on patreon so you can go to patreon.com slash hello crusoe that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash h-e-l-l-o-c-r-u-s-o-e or you can click the link at andrewcrusoe.com slash podcasts my name.com slash podcast and it's got the link to the show notes and the patreon you can support the show and make it possible for me to keep doing this um i don't like to date the show i like to keep it evergreen but full disclosure i'm on the road right now and every dollar helps go to grow the show and to make it possible for me to keep doing this so thank you so much to anybody who's supported the show in any way, even if you're only a Patreon supporter for like three seconds in March, um, which is actually not possible, but you know what I mean. Uh, anybody who's left a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, yeah, we're on all those things. Thank you so much. Um, cultivating a community around the show is one of the beautiful aspects of podcasting, and I just want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. Um, Speaking of being on the road, I have some new flavors and energies coming up for you that I'm very excited to share share with you soon. So be sure to subscribe. Subscribe to the show is free. Um, you know, if you will it, it is no dream, as they used to say. And, and share the show too. I, I I actually joined TikTok again, and um, I'm looking at it in a very playful way. And I've been sharing little snippets of this show. So feel free. I'm I'm at sign hello Crusoe on there too. You can check it out if that's something you're open to. But yeah, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, so you don't miss anything coming up. I've got some really interesting in-person interviews coming up that I'm really excited about. So yeah, thanks again for being here and share on. And as Susan has got me thinking about a lot lately. Namaste. Namaste. Mahalo.